0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. And our topic is entitled, Journeying Through Our Collective Dark Night of the Soul. Journeying Through Our Collective Dark Night of the Soul. It's a very unique moment, obviously, in our generation, in history, unprecedented uh, with the pandemic. uh, right now happening of COVID-19 in every country, it seems almost every country in the world uh, has been impacted by this. And <clears throat> we're in a, if there are seasons in God, which there are, uh, we went from a, a spring boom right into a full winter. And this past week, uh, I just found myself so sad, woke up in the middle of the night, had been watching some of the news. Uh, and it just you know, very, very tragic and both here in New York City, where we are, and around the world. And, and and now we've got to touch very close to home for us. I mean, one of our friends and her husband, they're, they're, she's six months pregnant, uh, both out of work, and both are now home with the virus. Uh, you know, very challenging. And our daughter's high school, or two of our daughters went, uh, uh, Catholic high school. The athletic director, uh, 42 years old, uh, died with three small children and again, no. Uh, no conditions prior to this it came out of nowhere, very tragic. And so I just found myself up, you know, anxious, sad, uh, you know, praying. And I woke up and I thought of Julian of Norwich, uh, who's in the 1300s, an anchorite, anchoress in England, and one of the great some would say the greatest spiritual writer in the Middle Ages. And she was living through a time of such political, social, and economic upheaval, uh, far greater than we are today. And uh, her revelations of Jesus have passed through history. And I said, I've got to pull Julian of Norwich out and reread her. And and she was living through the the beginning of the Hundred Year War uh, between England and France. It was a time of the bubonic plague, which killed 30 to 60 percent of Europe's population. Uh, They say it took Europe 150 years to recover from that. The church at the time was divided. There were three popes at one time claiming to be head of the church. Uh, One pope actually hired soldiers to put down a rebellion in an Italian city and massacred 2,500 to 3,000 people. Uh, The church was almost totally dependent on the French king. It was a time of great compromise in the church. Even the monasteries had gotten greedy, were in moral decline. Even the Franciscans were collapsing. John Wycliffe had emerged during this time, was preaching the truth about the Bible, pointing out corruption. Corruption. He was declared a heretic, and uh, they killed him, executed him, and they didn't just burn his books. They dug up his bones and his body and burned it to ashes and scattered it on a river. And so she saw all this damage being done by evil and suffering in the world, uh, innocent suffering. And again, one of and her Jesus revealed himself to her in her book showings. And here's what the Lord Jesus said to her. It's a beautiful summation to me of the whole book of Revelation and all of Scripture, and here's what the Lord Jesus said, "...all shall be well. You yourself shall see that all manner of things shall be well." Then she writes, "...it seemed to me impossible that all manner of things should be well." Uh, Then the Lord showed me, "...what is impossible to you is not impossible to me. I shall save my word in all things, and I shall make all things well." And so while there is terrible grief, and I am encouraged so much by her words, uh, there's terrible grief now, there is another level of what's happening to us and, uh, and what God is doing. And so I want to talk today about uh, the dark night of the soul and the collective nature of the dark night in which we find ourselves. Uh, now, I've been deeply impacted over the last probably 16, 17 years by the work of John of the Cross, uh, this, uh, wrote in the 1500s, Brilliant, insightful, very pertinent to our times. Uh, It's one of the uh, pieces missing pieces of discipleship that's part of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book and the course, the day by day book, the whole course. And it forms a theology of a discipleship that deeply changes lives. And one element of that is what we call the wall, uh, really, which is the dark night of the soul. And, uh, but we're going to apply it today to the present COVID-19 pandemic that we are living in. So it's a high level. So again, let me invite you uh, on the base level to uh, get yourself trained in the, in the foundation of that theology, which we turned into a course called the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. This has to be lived uh, out of silence and solitude and offices and a whole life. And so I want to encourage you when this is all over, go to EmotionallyHealthy.org. Uh, there's free training. Uh, You can do it through Zoom, do a sample pilot, get some instruction there. It's well worth it. But let me now explain what is this dark night of the soul and let me then apply it to where we are today. So a a, a dark night of the soul is not a trial. Okay, Trials are, you know, James 1, considered pure joy whenever you encounter trials of many times. Those are things like the computer freezes, a car breaks down, someone's mad at you, a traffic jam. But a, a A dark night, and I'm going to actually read this from a paragraph from the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. For most of us, it comes through a crisis that turns the world upside down. The dark night is sold. There's a divorce, a failed marriage, a betrayal, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a deep depression, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a car accident that changes your life forever, forever. Uh, your career ends before it even begins, a dryness or a loss of joy enters your relationship with God, and you can't seem to get back to where you were, and, and you find yourself questioning God and yourself and the church, and, uh, and you discover for the first time that your faith does not appear to work, uh, and you've got more questions than answers. Uh, and the very foundation of your faith feels like it's it's on the line here. You don't know where God is, you don't know what he's doing, you don't know where he's going, you don't know how he's getting there or when, if ever, this will be over. And uh, the reason this is such an important topic of the dark night of the soul, and now as we talk about it in this pandemic, is because it's been said that 85% of Christians never get through the dark night uh, because we don't have a theology large enough. To actually enable us to get through it. Our God is too narrow and small. And I like what John of the Cross says. He calls it a dark night or obscure or a terrible pur- uh, purgation. And, and he writes about it. This, this prepares us for or, for union with God, for oneness with God. And so he, he breaks the Christian life into beginners, progressives, and then perfect. Those are mature uh, into adults. Uh, Matthew 5, 48. You know. It's fully grown adults, and so for for this great insight, this brilliant insight is nobody grows into maturity or adulthood spiritually in Jesus without going through dark nights, without or dark fires. They're deeply transformational. In fact, they're not actually just an event that you get through or get beyond. It's a deep, ongoing process that, as you move through them, and there's more than one. It characterizes your whole spiritual life with Jesus. And so he, he, it opens us up because there's an inflowing of God into the soul. It's, it's a season of deepening of our love for God and others. That's really the purpose. It, it empties us so something can come in from God into the depth of our beings. And some a thirst is kindled, and while it's incredibly painful— uh, uh, the, the words of David in places like Psalm 42, as a deer pants for streams of water, soul, my soul pants for you, my God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And so, but we, we must say yes to to this process and we must, you know, we, we make the choice to cooperate or else our hearts grow harder. And so, and actually John of the Cross talks about that there's a dark night of the soul. Then there's a, actually a, a, another level, which is for a select few that is incredibly intense of suffering, great cleansing. Uh, and some of you may have been through that in your life already. And, uh, you know, it's kind of what happened to Job there. And uh, when Satan said to God, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, you've put a hedge around him. And let me, let me strike everything he has and he'll curse you to your face. Job one, and, uh, and, and so we make decisions in the midst of a, this dark night. And so we are now, I believe, as a church, you and I, we're making decisions. Because the temptation is you can turn back when you're in a dark night. You can lose your courage. And I think what's happening to lots of folks right now—we get really busy, uh, overworking, striving to put it back together—and what happens is we we can't see that God is actually leading us in a in a by another road. Uh, it's just a, a change of road, and it's a road of being with Him, of contemplation. Uh, it's another level of walking with Jesus, and uh, and so. The invitation, I'm going to give you the invitation first before I kind of expound on this collective dark night together. The invitation is to uh, to be still, to be quiet and listen for his voice because God's invading you and he's emptying you so he can fill you. And, uh, and there's a surrender moment, there's a patience, there's a, allowing God to take you places where you don't want to go. Uh, and it takes great patience to do it. And uh, again, one of the themes in the first five centuries of the church, and historians have written about this, uh, was about patience. In fact, they wrote more about patience than probably any other topic. Uh, because it takes patience to follow Jesus. the dark night, because all your feelings for God are gone, uh, it requires tremendous patience. It's, it's actually being handed over uh, to, like Jesus was handed over in the Passion prior to crucifixion, 14 times in the book of Matthew, Uh, where in a sense we're being handed over to God's doing something. We're we're surrendering to it, but it's incredibly painful. And it's Peter being led where he doesn't want to go. We've all had our plans disrupted. Uh, That's why it's a collective dark night. And what's amazing about it, it's in almost every continent on the earth. And so we surrender to the the will of God. And it's the ordinary way that we grow in Christ uh, and have our affections, our DNA, our wires uh, reworked, redone by God. Because in the dark night, God is getting at some things that are incredibly deep. Uh, he's pulling roots out from you and I that can happen no other way. That's what makes it such an incredibly important time of transformation in Jesus. And uh, as John of the Cross would say, there is no other way to grow into a mature woman, a mature man. The, 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 um, the fundamental issue is my will versus God's will your will versus God's will and the story I love one of the greatest examples of this is is Abraham at the wall uh Abraham had multiple you know dark nights uh we see it in Genesis 12 when he leaves everything and goes to an unknown land uh he's infertile unable to have children 25 years of waiting what a dark night uh, he's got to send Ishmael away his only son that was born out it with Hagar another dark night. Uh, he's been promised, you know, children like this descendants like stars in the sky and that would be a universal blessing to the world But but he only has one son Isaac, eventually born at the age of a hundred and then uh, about 10-13 years later when he's about a hundred and ten hundred and thirteen uh, He is invited into another dark night and to sacrifice Isaac on the altar in Genesis chapter 22 And it is a is a test And he climbs that mountain. If you've ever studied Genesis 22, it's an incredible passage. Uh, He builds an altar. He he makes a three-day journey. He builds an altar. He arranges the wood. He ties up Isaac. He lays him on the altar. And he takes a knife to cut the throat of his son. And, I mean, what a dark night. And and that passage is so, it's it's like a movie script. And, And so what's happening in the dark night, God is pulling out of us. And he's doing something incredibly profound in Abraham. Uh, in that moment, the father of us all, but in us, as we find ourselves in a dark night and our lives are so disrupted, uh, we are being not just restrained by God, he's doing something deep in our self-will uh, and he's pulling some things out. And actually, uh, in his classic work, Dark Dark of the Soul, and actually I, I, I end up rereading a whole bunch of it in preparation for this podcast, and I've probably read that book, I don't know, four or five times, and you know, he, he's got this list of what God's pulling out of us uh, in the dark night if we will stay with him. Things like pride, which he describes as when we condemn other people, or we look for the approval of other people, or when we're impatient, uh, that is pride. Uh, and gr- it, it, it pulls out pride, it pulls out greed, uh, which he describes as being discontent. With where you are spiritually. You're comparing yourself to other people. Uh, luxury. God pulls out of this that you're you're finding pleasure in spiritual blessings more than God himself. God's pulling out of you that he calls it being easily irritated with people, having no patience to wait on God. God's going to pull that out of you. Spiritual gluttony, which he calls you want. We won't want spiritual pleasures, but we don't want the cross. We won't get envious. Because God's going to pull envy out of us, you know, and you're unhappy when others do well spiritually. And, and then he goes, God's going to pull out laziness or sloth out of us when we, we, because we, we don't want the cross. We want to run from that. And, and and God is seeking to get us and get you to lose your love for things of the world. And so the Dark night does that, you know, for us and pulls out of it. So uh, let me—I just made a list of what, what are some of the things— that happen in a collective dark night, because I believe very much there's an invitation from God for us as leaders around the world. And we've been going on a road uh, with God, and this is an invitation to another road, and I'm going to call it a road to a contemplative life with him, uh, of being with him, out of which we allow him to invade us and pull out of us all kinds of things that need to be pulled out. Uh, and uh, so here's some of the things that happen. And I know uh, they have happened in me and they're happening in me on a deeper way right now as I join you in this collective night, uh, collective dark night of the soul. And it is a journey. So I've got, I, I made a list of, of uh, six things. And uh, I'll just take them, you know, one by one and, and uh, uh, some of the deep, deep roots I believe God's getting at and it's painful. The first I'm going to call simply our goals disappear. Uh, our dreams and plans are not just up, upended, but we realize that so many of our goals get replaced. What happens they get replaced by a simple desire and that desire is Him. My soul thirsts for you as a deer pants for water. So my soul thirsts for you. And, you know, Psalm 63, if I can pull it out here. Uh, you know, he we, we uh, hold on one second. Hold on. Psalm 63. That was I was pondering this in my midday office today. Where the Lord says, oh God, you are my God, I earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so it's always this, like, the, the desire of our hearts, something happens where as leaders, what we want more than anything in terms of leadership is him our body longs for? It's almost painful. Our spirit thirsts for him. Think of a desert land where there is no water, and so our goals and we set them right, but it's how we set them and how we see them. Something changes now because there is there is now the dark night does something so profound in us. Uh, again, if we allow it. That our goals almost dissipate. Yes, we have them, but they're not the heavy yokes, and the kind of that's not what they were in the past. But then there's a second thing that happens: is uh, our our worship of God shifts, and our our worship of our feelings completely disappears. In other words, we worship Him, not our feelings. One of the most common idolatries in the church is we love feeling good. Uh, and worship and following Jesus and and actually we become attached to feelings and we're we're, we're following our feelings, not Jesus. And so God has got to remove those, quote, consolation feelings, those good feelings to to deepen us so that we're actually following him, not our feelings. Now, it's funny you're hearing this from the guy, you know, we're leading emotionally healthy discipleship. So yes, there's a place for feelings, absolutely. Then there's a place also to say, I'm not following my feelings, I'm following Jesus, And in the dark night, and we're in one, it does not feel good. In fact, it feels terrible. Uh, But we worship Jesus, not our feelings. And um, it's an immaturity. And so we persevere in patience, even when we're feeling empty and dry. Uh, And and there are moments, and Jonathan Cross writes about this, we'll get these bursts of God will communicate his sweetness. But in general, when you're in a a dark night, uh, you're getting moments of God's sweetness and and splendor but for the most part it's it's just it's difficult and you're patiently persevering a third thing that happens in a dark night is you're freed from attachments uh, there's a detaching happening to things now it's everything from your bank account uh, you know your your retirement perhaps uh, attachment of what the church is going to look like uh, definitely with people applause because you're not even in front of people anymore right now but see god loves you enough and loves me enough to strip you of all that gets in the way of him and they're not things that are bad in themselves but they can keep us from god and so at the wall at at this dark night uh my identity gets 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 pulled back on another level uh everything from intellect to to gifts and talents to family to doing good and dreams illusions just attachments get broken. In fact, we see our attachments on levels we hadn't seen them before until we lose them. It's been very interesting for me to have my children go shopping for me uh, and losing control of even something as simple as that. Uh, but I didn't realize how many attachments I had that I thought I had dealt with until this pandemic hit. And now I'm, I'm in day 22 right now of our voluntary quarantine I think of Truman Capote, and he got fame for writing that book, In Cold Blood, which became a movie. But his last unfinished work, uh, here's what he wrote in the last page. More tears are shed over answered prayer than unanswered ones. Uh, and and I, as we get—as a dark night does something so deep in us and pulling out roots, that there is a level, a fresh level of freedom from the world— the flesh and the devil that comes to us. So, but there's a fourth thing that happens, and I'm going to call you just calling it becoming more comfortable with not knowing, wholly unknowing. Uh, in other words, that we become we become more like little children, which is what Jesus talked about, right? And that when we don't we're not in control. We don't know what's happening. What's the big plan God's doing here? Um, and as Augustine wrote, if you understand, it's not God you understand. If you understand, it's not God you understand. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, and uh, I, I thought I knew. And uh, and so we can actually rest more easily and live more freely knowing that God's got it in control and, and we can trust him. And so we can sing with David. Uh, as he said, for example, Psalm 18, he made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. And, and, and God covers himself in darkness. And we're OK with that because we don't have to know where he's going, when he's going to get there, his bigger, his plan. We do don't, know we, don't, we trust him and we're okay. We're more comfortable out of the dark night. And then also, uh, and fifthly, what happens in the dark night is is we're shedding layers. God is shedding layers off us of our false self. Uh, again, the, the dark night, like nothing else, cuts off our attachments to our false self, to who we think we ought to be, who we falsely think we are. Layers of our counterfeit self or our pretend self are gone. Something truer in uh, in Jesus in us and through us slowly emerges. And I, I was fascinated in rereading uh, The Dark Night by John of the Cross in the 1500s, where he, he quotes Augustine. Uh, and he was talking about how layers are pulled off us, where Augustine prays, Let me know myself, Lord, that I may know you. Uh, and so we learn what does it mean to be broken in spirit, poverty of spirit and humble before God and we actually can feel in dark nights and I, I think it's revealing that this collective dark night at least here in North America reveals our immaturity our attachments, our childishness um, uh, and and it's just it's painful, you know, we realize, oh, my gosh, I'm too attached to my goals and how I the dream, how I thought this church should fold out. And, and I want I like feeling really good that I'm growing the church and I know where it's going. And I didn't realize how attached I was to this and this and that. I met a couple of pastors going through withdrawal of not getting validation from people as we're preaching now because we're preaching the empty, empty places. And uh, how hard it is not to know where God is going and what the church is going to look like in the next 3, 5, 10, 20, 30 years and, and, and didn't realize how much of my false self was wrapped up in leadership and boy that dark night just brings that out and uh, uh, gosh and, uh, and, um, and so We um, uh, By God's grace, hopefully our true self emerges, you know my, my favorite definition of leadership is leadership is knowing what to do next, why it's important, and bringing, this, bringing the necessary resources to bear. That's leadership. A leader knows what to do next, why it's important, and bringing the necessary resources to bear to make that happen. And I still think it's my best definition of leadership. But godly leadership uh, is able to surrender the whole thing, recognizing I. Uh, I'm, I'm surrendered. my life is one of surrender to him. The seventh thing of what I what God is doing in a dark night is I, He's protecting us. We just can't see it. Uh, he, he's protecting us. I mean, I think of Moses' dark night, uh, forty years in Midian, uh, David's dark night, then you know ten, thirteen years. I think of Joseph's dark night. But God's doing something deep, and He sees your gifting. He sees your visions. He sees your dreams. He sees what He's got for you. But you're dangerous without a great purging. You're dangerous without God pulling up those roots. And I said, you need that dark night. I'm. Uh, I suspect that God knows we need a collective dark night as a church because He does have something great for us as a church of Jesus Christ. But, but there is a season. There are times uh, we must go through that dark night so He can do a profound work in us. And then, of course, uh, and finally, and my my final thing that I that I know is happening in here, and, and a large part of John of the Cross's work talks about this is God is preparing us for a higher degree of love with him. In other words, he's emptying us so we're able to have a communion with God that's way more abundant. He's purging our palate of rebellion. Uh, he's changing our taste buds so that we actually feel and taste the love of God. We we, we 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 want that food more than anything on earth. And he's stripping us to make us the men and women he's called us to be. And, and so many of us, we know about the love of God. We know so many biblical truths in our head, but not our experience. And and this dark, dark nights ground us in deep truth, especially the love and the grace of God and, and the gospel. Like, like, like there's no other way to get there. Uh, and rebellion and stubbornness is pulled out of us. So instead perhaps of looking uh, at this pandemic as a, you know, angry and defensive, I want to invite you to befriend it, uh, to befriend it, uh that somehow God has allowed this and he's doing something. And it's, it's a time of hidden fruitfulness. And the hand of the loving God is doing something in us as leadership in the church. And the primary issue is my will versus God will. That, that's, that's a big thing happening in the dark night. And, you know, Abraham doesn't argue, doesn't delay, doesn't resist. He's not angry, bitter, disappointed. He doesn't shrink back. He, he, just, he, doesn't, he just, yes, he, he surrenders. And, and God loves you. And uh, God loves me, and we can trust the flood of the love of God. He wants us to have union with him, that our will is his will, that the two wills become one will, that we become so transformed by the Holy Spirit that everything contrary to the will of God, we just we don't even want it. But how do we become like that? You can't will it. You can't do spiritual practices. It requires dark nights, and uh, we are in one, friends, together. I. God spares us from—I'm meditating on these two phrases, uh, and actually come from Meister Eckhart. He turns that God spares us from nothing and sustains us in everything. And what if everything that is lost is never lost because you never had it in the first place? It was given to you unexpectedly from the generosity of God. And so our isolation, perhaps, not isn't, isn't a prison, and our plans basically turning to dust, uh, maybe really God's meaningful descent for us to know Jesus and ourselves. There are treasures here in the dark night, friends, and that if we can stay with it, I, I believe that we, not just as individuals, but as a leadership, as a church, will look so different on the other side. If we will follow his will and... Uh, in this dark night, we'll we we'll, are gonna end up in places we never dreamed, with people we never imagined. And actually, you'll become the extraordinary human being God intends. And we actually as a church will become something we perhaps unrecognizable. Actually, to be tested by God is a compliment and it's a privilege. I mean, Abraham became a father of many, a blessing to the nations. Your life, we as a church are meant to be a gift to the world. And God tests people who have a great calling and a great future. Abraham could never have known what a gift his life would be, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus came to do that. In the same way, I want to invite you to take the road to a contemplative life, a deeper contemplative life in Jesus, uh, and to be quiet and to be still, to let God invade you, to empty you so we can fill you, to allow God to purge you and take you places you do perhaps do not want to go. It is frightening. For a leader, and I know many of you are just like me. Uh, you know, again, a couple of visions and dreams by lunchtime. Uh, but boy, to be stopped by a global pandemic, not just you, but not everything you've you've built and dreamed for for years. Wow. The Book of Lamentations is a great text where Jeremiah uh as Jerusalem they've had a they've had a collective dark night where Jerusalem has been raised to the ground to rubble. And he writes a book called Lamentations. And here's what Jeremiah writes. Uh, you know, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassion has never failed, anew new every morning. And then he goes on: it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Uh, let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it. On him on him. Uh, the great promise is you're, you will be filled. Uh, and I want to invite you to uh, to sit uh, in alone in silence and allow God to deeply change you. And perhaps a silence and a solitude and a seeking of God on a level in a place that you've, in a way that maybe you've never done before, and a letting go on some of those things that happen in a dark night that you've never done before. And so let me invite you as a as a good follow-up here to Go to our website, EmotionallyHealthy.org. Look at the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, part one, uh, and uh, get a hold of that book, the workbook, the day-by-day book, the daily office book. Begin to press into some of these missing pieces of discipleship that are so core to developing mature men, mature women of the faith, and moving out of childhood and adolescence to maturity. And thus you can apply it in a broader way into your life and all those around you. Get some, get the training. It's, it's free there, but we've got to live it and enter into it ourselves so we can bring the church with us. So thank you so much for being here today. It's been a joy to be with you. It's been a joy for me to prepare this. Uh, it's been good for me, uh, and I pray it's been good for you. So God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful day, and may the Lord's good hand rest upon you.